Good morning. I, uh, I know we just got done praying, but I'm going to start us off with a prayer, uh, and then we'll get into God's Word. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to come here with my church family and to study your Word. And God, uh, I thank you for the fact that it's your Word that teaches us and not me. God, I pray that as I speak this morning that your Word would speak to people's hearts that we would leave here changed, not because of anything I could say, but because of what you've done for us and how you're teaching us. And I pray this in your name. Amen. This last week, uh, Friday, I got the privilege of having an interview uh, in my schooling that you guys are very graciously putting me through. Uh, a lot of my work so far has been personal development type things. And part of the project, uh, what they call a motivated abilities pattern, uh, is to kind of go back through my life and look at various different age ranges in my life and kind of list those things which were memorable or some achievements that I had or things that I really enjoyed doing. And I wrote all those down and spent quite a bit of time doing that. It's a lot harder than it seems. And then I sent that off. And someone else got a hold of that and read through it. And they chose certain ones they were going to call and ask me about. And I had an opportunity to, to on Friday to have this interview where they asked me about these different experiences that I've had and kind of probe for what was exciting or interesting or valuable, in my opinion, in those things. So as I started this interview, I was waiting for him to get into the, the achievements that I thought were really important. Uh, but he chose ones that I, I would not have chosen. And he asked me to kind of describe how I got involved in them and I could describe what was enjoyable about them. As I went through this process, one of the themes that kept coming up over and over again as we looked at these different uh, achievements in my life, one of the themes that kept coming up was what really interested me in most of those things was tearing things down to their basic parts. And he, he kept asking me the question, well, why is that interesting to you? Why do you enjoy that? Why? Because I want to know how stuff works. My mom when I was talking to her uh, as I was going through this process, she said, well, the thing I remember about you when you were real little was we would give you Christmas gifts and within a day or two, you would have taken them completely apart and not been able to put them back together. And <clears throat> although I can put things together now, I still really enjoy doing that. I, for some reason, part of me is I need to know how it works. It's not enough for me just to know that it, that it works. I need to know how. I got really involved in, in building computers, partly because of that, because I wanted to know how it did what it did and the different parts and what they were for. And I would build computers because I really enjoyed that process. I have a bike that I rarely, if ever, ride. But one of the things that I really enjoy doing with that bike is taking it apart. And I take all the parts. I, I'm very intimately acquainted with every part in that bike. The bearings, the pedals, all of them were chosen by me and I put them together and I know exactly if it's working right or if it's not. It's usually working right because it just sits in the garage. <laughs> <clears throat> 
But that's just part of me. Whether it's physical things or even abstract things, I like to break them down and I need to know how they work. I got to get my mind wrapped around it before I'm able to just use it or enjoy it. And because of that, I'm often involved in that process of breaking things down and trying to figure them out. I love it because I get to know those things on a deeper level. Many of you are familiar with the little blue car that I drove for so long. And some of you still see that driving around town. The reason that I love that car, it was a piece of junk. But it was my piece of junk. And every part in that car, it seems like I replaced at some point. And I knew that car. When it would start to make a little rattle or a little noise, I knew what it was. And I'd replaced that part before. And I knew I could do it again. And I really liked just knowing everything about my little blue car. It was sad when I had to sell my little blue car, but I sold it to family so I can still look at it once in a while. You know, the interesting thing is that that's the way that I'm built. That's who I am. But the fact of the matter is, God's actually built us all that way to some degree. You might be thinking, well, I don't care how things work. I'm satisfied that they do. But in a way, we're all built that way. You can see that in the, in the area of relationships. When we think about relationships, oftentimes for us, the acquaintances, the people that pass by us aren't enough. For, for most of us, when it comes to people, we want to dig in and know more about them. We want to get more intimately involved with them. We're not satisfied with just the, the I read this this morning, nonversation. It's a new word. That's when you have conversation with something, somebody that doesn't go anywhere or doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of those people that we have non-versation with. But for most of us, we need to have deeper relationships with people. We want to know more about people. The longer we're with people, the more we are interested in what makes them tick, why they are the way that they are, what they're interested in. We want, to, we want to join together with them in some of those things. We want to have experiences together. It's the way we're built. God made us that way. And I want to look at God's word this morning because as I read through, you can turn to the book of Philippians. As I read through Philippians, something stuck out to me in Philippians. And the last time I spoke, I spoke on Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to be there again, so you can turn back there. Maybe I just didn't say everything I wanted to say last time, so I'll continue. For most of us, relationships with other people, we, we want to dig into relationships. We want deeper relationships. We want to have those people in our lives that we can lean on in difficult times. We want to have those people that we can let our guard down with, that we can be vulnerable with. And in order to do that, we have to build deeper relationships. They have to know more about us. We have to know more about them. All of you know that there's a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. We can know all about a particular person. I, I've mentioned before I like to watch Investigation Discovery. It's my favorite channel. There's a show on there where they talk about stalkers. Stalkers know a lot about people. They just don't actually know those people, right? 
They know everything about them. You see that with celebrity stalkers especially. Boy, they can go online and they can get all this information about them. They know how many kids they have. They know what they eat for lunch. They know all kinds of details about them, but they've never actually met those celebrities. For famous people, it must be difficult to meet some of those people and to wonder if they actually do know them or not because they seem to know so much about them. You've surely had the experience that I've had where maybe you're at the grocery store or you're uh, out somewhere, maybe at a school event or something like that. Someone comes up to you and their eyes light up. And they say, oh, Miles, how are you? They wouldn't say Miles to you, but to me. (laughs) And they, they, they act like they know you. And that fear creeps into your chest as you realize, I have no clue who I'm talking to. <laughs> and you're, you're looking at them like, do I know you? And you've all been there, you've had that experience, but you know, as you get to talk to them, maybe it was somebody I went to high school with, and, and I don't remember, you know, I went to a big high school, and there was maybe 500 people in my graduating class, and so I couldn't know all of them on an intimate level. And so some of those people I might have had some experience with that I've long since forgot, but maybe it was really memorable to them. But you know that that situation. There's those people that we know about. Those people don't know me. But then there's those people that we have a deep and meaningful relationship with. Those people that we have shared many shared experiences with. We know them on a deep level. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 is where we're going to be today. Just that verse. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, this verse stuck out to me for a couple reasons. As I was reading through and studying for my last sermon, uh, I was really stuck on the couple verses before that. But when I got to that verse, I don't know about in your Bible, but in my version, this is the ESV version, when I get to that verse, in between verse 9 and verse 10, verse 9 ends with the words, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, and then there's some lines. I looked up in different versions. Some of those versions, there's a semicolon there, or a colon. And I wondered why they separated it that way, why they did that. And I started to look into, first of all, what a semicolon was for. That was part of English that I did not remember. Uh, But when I looked it up, it was to separate something that explains something that was before it. Something is said, and then there's a semicolon, and there's something that further explains whatever was said. And so I thought that was interesting as I got to this part, because what he had been talking about was the fact that his previous life was all worthless to him. He saw it as as of no worth because of the experience that he had had with Christ, where he met Christ personally and placed his faith in him, and that had so changed his life that everything else now was worthless. But what we're seeing here is he says all of that, 
Then he separates it, and now this thought here further explains that. And what it does, what he's doing here, is he's making a statement of purpose. He said, that's the way it was. I found Christ. And now, in verse 10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's an interesting thing to me. It stopped me. It made me want to dig into it more and find out what exactly he's talking about there. Oftentimes, when I get to sections like this, I like to dig into what the Greek says, because I want to know what the Greek word, the definition of it was, and then I like to stretch that out and see, okay, is that what he really meant? What's what I'm reading here? Am I understanding it the way that he meant to say it? One of the things that I really enjoy, as I look at the different translations of the Bible, I like to read, I've got Seven, I think seven different translations in my office. And when I get to verses like this, I'll open all of those to the same verse. And I'll read them all in those separate translations to try and get a better picture of what, what was being said. One of the versions that I really like is the Amplified Version. Uh, I don't read this for my devotions because it would, it, it's extra long. And some of these verses, they like to kind of add in the, the ideas from the Greek words to help us better understand what was being said. And I want to read this verse, verse 10, to you, understanding this as somewhat, somewhat of a statement of purpose. Having received this new life in Christ, seeing his old life as, as kind of a worthless thing, you know, things that he thought meant a lot now mean nothing to him, he gives this statement of purpose. In the Amplified Bible, it says this, For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death in the hope. What a fantastic way to describe what Paul is getting at here. This is a statement of life purpose from a man who has had his life changed. You see, for Paul... This life change was not the goal, the prize, the end, but he saw this as the beginning of something new, something different, something changed in him. And so as we read this verse, he's giving a statement of purpose about his new life. As we dig into what he's saying here, I want us to understand that this is exactly what Paul wants. He wants to know Christ on an intimate level. Not on an acquaintance level. Not on the do-I-know-you level. But he wants to know him deeply and intimately. And he says, first of all, that he would like to know the power of his resurrection. You see, this was just the beginning. He had been given new life, and he wanted to know the power of all that that meant for his life. He wanted to know all that he could accomplish with Christ now in his life. All of the things that he had been able to accomplish before Christ, now he saw this new power. He saw a new purpose. And he wanted to know God intimately. He wanted to know everything he could know 
about Jesus Christ. He wanted to follow him and be changed by him. Secondly, he says he wants to be acquainted with and recognize and identify Christ through his sufferings. There is no deeper way to know someone than to be involved in suffering or trial or tribulation with them together. To go through difficult times together. It binds people together. It makes you closer than you can ever get otherwise. You go through difficult times and you begin to to understand people more. You see how they react to that. You can help them out and encourage them and they do the same for you and it binds you together in a way that's unbreakable. That's why family is such a close relationship. They see us at our worst and they're there for us still. When I met my wife, A week after I met her, I came down very ill. I lost 20 pounds in three days. I was throwing up. I I felt horrible. And that is not a good way to impress a girl you just met. And so as bad as I felt, I wanted to spend time with her, but I was miserable. And I didn't have the strength to get out of bed. And my wife, not knowing me very well at all, came over to my house. She was friends with my sister, but she came over to my house And she talked to me, as miserable as I felt, as bad as I probably looked. She came over and talked to me. She got to know me better. She would get me water. She would get me tea. She was just being there for me. And in that difficult time, seeing me at my worst, if she was willing to to hang out with me at that moment, I knew that when I was doing better, she'd still be willing to to hang out with me. See, Christ saw us at our worst. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When he saw the worst of the worst in us, he loved us and wanted to spend time with us and wanted an intimate relationship with us, and he died on the cross to make that possible. And here, because of what Christ did on the cross, we now have an opportunity to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just in the good times and the things that he's done for us make us joyous and glad because he's died on the cross to forgive us our sins, but there are troubles and trials that are going to happen in our lives. And Paul wanted to know, he wanted to identify and recognize Jesus through his resurrection, all that great stuff, the fact that he was justified, but now also in the sanctification of his life in the process of being made more and more like Jesus Christ. And that is not an easy situation. It's difficult. We have to recognize our shortcomings. We have to recognize our problems. And we have to work on those things. And Paul wanted to be identified with Christ, not just in the good times, but in the sufferings, because he knew that in his sufferings he was made better that Christ stood by him in his suffering and encouraged him and lifted him up and made him better, used that suffering to make him better, to make him more like himself. He wanted to be associated with Christ and identified with Christ and know him intimately through the power of his resurrection, through his sufferings, but also through his death. 
You see, there's, there's a great joy in that for Paul. He wanted to be associated and identified with Christ in his death. And that sounds terrible, but you know, as you look at the life of Christ, there was that moment where he cried out to his father and asked him, if there was any other way, could you please take this cup from me? But there was also a moment where Christ was resolved that this was his purpose and he was willing to do it and he was glad to do it because of his love for mankind, for you and for me. And Paul wants to be associated not just with, with, the, with the joy of his salvation, not just with, the, with the, the product of his suffering, but he wanted to be associated with Christ now also in his death. He wanted to be able to face the ultimate fear, death itself, like Christ did. He wanted to be identified in that. He wanted to face death with ex- expectancy of being able to see Christ following that death. He wanted to live his life in a way that pleased God, but he wanted to reach the end of it so he could see God. That was Paul's purpose. He stated his purpose there. John chapter 17, if you'll turn there real quick. John chapter 17 verse 3 says this. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This eternal life that we've received, Christ says this about it, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the purpose And this was Paul's purpose. He recognized that as he became a believer, as he decided to follow Christ and give his life over to Christ and put his faith in Christ for his salvation, he recognized that he had to do something about that. And this wasn't just a random, I'm going to follow God and see where it takes me, but he was purposeful about it. He wanted to be identified with Christ in his resurrection, in his sufferings, and his death. Maybe you're here this morning, and like me, you've looked back at your life and even your faith in Christ, and you started to recognize, you know, I really have just that acquaintance with God. I don't have as intimate of a relationship as I would like to have. I have the desire that Paul had. I want to know Christ. I want to be identified with him. I want to go through battles with him. I want to know him deeply. I want to have faith, uh, uh, just move a mountain. But I, I, I don't have that. My relationship with Christ is more acquaintance level. So the question is, you know, maybe, maybe you've been in a spot where you say, you know, I know a lot about Christ. I know a lot about God. I've, I've spent a lot of time studying and learning about God. I've got a lot of knowledge and theological understanding, but I don't have that depth of a relationship with God. I haven't been through lots of things with God. I haven't trusted him fully with my life. Maybe 
You've been given some responsibility. Maybe, maybe you've understood so much about God. You've got all those facts down and you know everything there is to know. And people look to you for answers and they ask you questions. And they want you to tell them about God and you're able to do that. Maybe you've got ministry under your belt and you're working for God. But yet, like me, you recognize that you don't really have a real depth, the kind of depth that Paul is talking about here in your relationship, and you want that. The question then is, how do I get that? How do I do that? J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this. How are we to do this? How can we turn our knowledge about God into the knowledge of God? The rule for this is demanding, yet simple. It is that we turn each truth we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. Let me say that again. It is that we turn each truth we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. As we want to get a more intimate, close relationship with Christ, it requires discipline. It requires some work on our behalf. Charles Swindoll gives us four disciplines for having a closer, more intimate walk with Christ. The first is this. It's simplicity. The discipline of simplicity. As our world gives us all kinds of things to, to attract our attention, to take our time. It's so easy for us to fill up all of our time with busy work and things we have to do and things we want to do and all those things that attract our attention. And oftentimes that leads us to push out time with God. And so the first discipline that Charles Swindoll gives is the discipline of simplicity. We've got to begin to push some of those things out to simplify our lives to what really matters, which is following and knowing God, doing his will. That's what really matters. And in order to, to have the kind of intimate relationship we desire, we've got to take some of those things that don't matter as much, some of those things Paul recognized in his life, and we've got to push them out. We've got to set them aside, and we've got to set aside specific time to spend with God. We've got to set aside time to actually meet with God. You know you can't get an intimate relationship with somebody that you don't ever talk to. You can read all about them, but it's not intimate. It's not close. You don't have shared experience. In order to do that, you've got to set aside time to actually meet with them, to get to know them, to build that relationship. And there's no difference between that and, and our relationship with God in that sense, if we want to get an intimate relationship with God, we've got to push some of that other stuff out of our lives. And we've got to set aside time to meet with God. The second discipline that Charles Swindoll gives is the discipline of silence. Many of you know Psalm 4610. It says, be still and know that I am God. 
It's not enough just to set aside the time. Oftentimes I set aside the time and I sit down and I'll open my Bible and I'll read through it because I've got this much I need to read through and I've got this much time and I'm just going to get through it and I'm going to move on. But there's the discipline of silence. After we read God's word and take that time to be with God, we need to just stop and listen. To take those things that we've read and let them soak into our brains a little bit. To spend some time to just intentionally listen for God's voice. To hear his words speaking to us. We call this God's word. We need to understand that this is the way that he speaks to us. And we need to be silent to hear that. The third characteristic or third discipline that Charles Swindoll gives is the discipline of solitude. Just getting alone. And it doesn't mean just to be alone, but there's more to it than that. Once we've set aside time and we're quiet and we've we've read God's word and we're letting it soak in, there's something more to it. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11 is, is again Paul speaking or writing, and he's writing about uh, something that's happened in the, in the church in Corinth. He says this in verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order for that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead and eats his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, not dis- or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have done nothing or who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. See, Paul is frustrated with the church in Corinth because they've taken the Lord's Supper, a time to focus on God, a time to remember what he's done for us. Remember the sacrifice that he made, and they've turned it into just another meal, another time for them. It's not what it was intended to be anymore. They're selfishly thinking about themselves and their hunger and all those things instead of focusing on what they should be focusing on. Starting in verse 28, he picks it up and he says, let a person examine himself then. And so eat the bread and drink the cup. For if anyone eats, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. As he's talking here and talking about the the problems that they were having with the way they were treating the Lord's Supper, he said, what you need to do is get alone by yourself and examine yourself. 
You need to take time to take a real hard look at yourself. And when we think about the discipline of solitude, the discipline of solitude is about this. When we've set aside time for God and we've, we've been in silence, we've read some of his word and we're thinking about it and we're letting it soak in, this solitude discipline is about now taking what we've read and thinking about it as it applies to ourselves. We think about the standard that we've read about God's standard that we read in his word and And we have to then take that and recognize, where are we at? If that's God's standard, where am I at? And when we recognize that, we have to start to put some thought into, how do I reconcile those two things? If that's God's standard and I'm down here, then how do I reconcile in my own life how to fix that? How do I follow Christ in a way that pleases him? How do I become more and more like Christ? How do I make those two things closer? Solitude is about spending time examining ourselves and judging ourselves rightly, as Paul said. If we're not willing to judge ourselves rightly, God will surely do it for us. The last discipline that Swindoll lists is the discipline of surrender. This is maybe the most difficult for me. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. You know, as we get alone with God, we set aside time, And we listen to God's words and we recognize then where we're at as opposed to what God's words say. And we understand, here's some things that I'm going to have to change in my life. Here's some things I'm going to have to do to bring myself closer to Christ, to follow him more closely. The tough part then is trusting God and surrendering those things to him and following him taking those things that we're thinking about, meditating on and, 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 and working through in our own minds with God's word, we need to then surrender our lives to God and allow him to begin to change us from the inside. Allow him to begin to mold us more and more into his son's image. That's a difficult, difficult task. What does it look like when we're we're able to do that? When we're able to get into a deeper and deeper, more intimate relationship with with, with Christ, what impact does that have on our lives? How does that change us as a Christian? If we're able to take the difficult steps, practice these difficult disciplines, and redirect our purposes towards knowing Christ, we will begin to be about our Father's business. We can simplify our lives and we can refocus on Christ where our focus ought to be to begin with. This is the process of sanctification. We begin to see our lives becoming closer and closer to the image of Christ and less and less like our own creation. 
Those people who know God begin to have a great passion and energy for the things of God. They want to follow God. They get excited. More they, the more they learn about God, the more they know God, the more they want to please him. The more they understand what he's done for them. The more energy they have for him. When we're able to build this kind of intimate relationship, when we're able to establish these disciplines in our lives, not only do we have more energy for God, but we begin to think more like God. You know that as you spend time with your friends, those people you care about the most, you begin to kind of develop the same thoughts and the same ideas and you collectively kind of have the same goals and the same uh, worldview and all of those types of things. And it's no different with our relationship with God if we spend time in God's word, in the disciplines that we've talked about. We begin to see people the way that God sees people. We begin to see the world the way that God sees the world. We begin to have a heart and a passion for reaching those who don't know him. We begin to be acutely aware of what Christ has done for us and we are desperate to share that with other people. Is that true of my life? It's not all the time. That's why I know that I need to, I need to work on these disciplines. This needs to be a part of my life because I want to know Christ and I want to please him. And I know that that's going to take effort on my part. And if I'm willing to do that and listen to God, and, and work on the things in my life that need work. God's going to be there with me in those battles, like Paul was talking about with the sufferings. Christ is going to be there to encourage me and push me forward and help me to be more like him. Christ is going to give me the power to do that. He's going to help me to see things the way that he sees things we'll start to have a boldness for Christ because we'll know that nothing else matters but making him known. We'll know that there's no greater thing than knowing the God of this universe in a personal way and we won't be able to keep that contained. We'll be bold to share that with other people and we'll find great contentment in knowing God. He'll be enough for us. All those other things that used to attract our attention and take our time they won't matter as much anymore. We'll be content with what God has given us to do. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. God, I thank you so much for what you've taught me this week from this passage. God, I thank you that your word clearly shows us what Paul was all about. The change that happened in his life it wasn't just a haphazard thing that he went through the rest of his life in, but God, I thank you for showing us that he had a purpose. He had a stated purpose. He wanted to know you more, and that was all that mattered to him. And God, help it to be all that matters to me. Help us as a church family to focus on you, to spend time with you, to intentionally set aside time to meet with you, to get to know you. God, help us to listen to you. It's so hard sometimes just to listen to your still, small voice. Help us to evaluate our lives. 
Help us to be in the position where we understand what your word is saying to us, but help us also to understand how we apply that to our lives. And then, God, please, help us to trust you. Help us to surrender our lives to you. God, I thank you that as we do that, we don't do it alone. God, you're right there with us because you're a personal God who cares so much for us. I pray this in your name. Amen.